0: we have the opportunity to create environments, healthy environments, environments that are rich with nutrients, environments alive with energy, and with invitation and possibilities, environments that nurture growth in our students, Environments where children can't help but grow. That's what our classrooms can be. I am delighted to be here with so many teachers this week, but I will admit a bit of a preference to be seated where you are. I have been married 21 years now to a wonderful woman who loves to garden and several years ago Cynthia informed me that uh, she was ready to begin starting her own tomatoes and annuals from seed. She had been using starters up to this point and so we begin to prepare an environment. We begin to... Uh, think about what is it that we need to start small plants from seed. And so we tried to find a warm place uh, during the winter, and and that turned out to be our basement. We got some grow lights, and uh, we hooked up uh, the lights to a timer, potting soil, fertilizer, got all of these things together. And when we got the conditions just right, the result was beautiful, lush, healthy plants. And as teachers, our work is to create those kind of environments where, where growth happens, the kind of environments that nurture growth in our students. Now my mother is also a wonderful woman and she's also a gardener she and dad live in South Carolina and she takes a lot of pride in her garden getting the soil conditions just right making sure that there's plenty of of water spraying dusting keeping the tomato worms off she has a great technique for tomato worms she doesn't like them And she doesn't like to get close to them so she takes a pair of scissors out to the garden with her and when she sees one she snaps it in two last spring mom and dad came to visit us and dad were dad and i were off by ourselves talking a bit and it didn't take long for dad to say stephen i did a terrible thing he said, uh, your mother's still sore about what I did. Hear what had happened. He'd been spraying in a field nearby her garden. And it was a bit too windy that day. And some of the spray came over. And um, many of the plants there in the garden were turning yellow and, and uh, were drooping. When I talked to my mom, she confirmed that yes, uh, Dad was right, she was still sore. But you see, there are toxic environments as well, as healthy, nurturing environments. There are environments in which the poison will stunt and hinder growth. Part of our job as teachers is to minimize the conditions that hinder growth in our students. This week, we're going to focus on four qualities that as teachers, we have the opportunity to nurture in our students, to feed, to nourish. Each of these qualities begins with a C. And they are character, conviction, curiosity, and creativity. In order to help us think about these four qualities as a whole, we want to begin with thinking about character. Character is who we are. It's our essence. The other three characteristics or qualities have to do with the way that who we are or who our students are interacts with, connects with what is with everything else. And so we're gonna look at conviction and developing and nourishing conviction in our students. That is our alignment with what is. We're gonna spend time thinking about how we can nurture curiosity, our interest in what is. And we're gonna take a look then at nurturing creativity, our contribution, our students' contribution to what is four C's this morning we'll begin or excuse me before that I just want to comment again that for each of these qualities we want to look at conditions that nurture growth and then also the conditions that hinder growth for each one this morning we begin with character So what do we mean, what do we mean by character when we use this word, what are we talking about? I'm going to define it this way, it's our essence, who we really are, who our students really are. Now that's not a very colorful definition and a number of people have tried their hand at doing better. The German leader Bismarck defined it this way, our character is what we do when we think no one else is looking. And in a similar fashion, D.L. Moody put it this way, character is what you are in the dark. Now if we look at these two definitions, we see a bit of apparent uh, contradiction. Notice that Bismarck defines character as what we do. Moody says it's what we are. Emerson talks about both when he says, What you are thunders so that I cannot hear what you say to the contrary. What you are thunders so that I cannot hear what you say to the contrary. Jesus says, Out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks the heart, the mouth. Jesus also, in Matthew 23, and I'm going to read just a bit of an extended passage here, but I want us to look at these same two categories. As Jesus is speaking about the Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup. Which category does that fit in? But inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Inside. Outside, Aristotle said we are or we become what we repeatedly do being doing and one of my favorite quotes and I'm not sure who actually said this but they said it is more important to be it's more important to be than to seem. So which is character? Abraham Lincoln answered the question this way. He said, character is like a tree and reputation like its shadow. The shadow is what we think of it. The tree is the real thing. I believe character as we generally use it is referring to our first column. What we are behavior and reputation fits with the second so what is it then that character looks like what does character look like and to help us think about that question I'd like for us to go to a a, a biblical story and if, if I were to ask you, who is it from Scripture that when we talk about godly character that your mind goes to... ...and there would probably be several people, but I'm sure that Joseph would be in that list. And so I want to consider with you the story, just a piece of the story of Joseph. And I'm going to pick this story up in Genesis 39... He says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Two just rather uh, calm-sounding verses that cover over a, a really difficult reality, and that is that Joseph had been rejected by his family life was tough these were not easy times for joseph and yet because of his character we see him having strength for when time when life was tough what does godly character looks like it looks like joseph it provides strength when life is tough. Well, we read on. He says, When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. What does character look like? Well, character looks like Joseph here. It's trustworthy. Character is trustworthy. We read on. From the time he put... Joseph in charge of his household and of all that he owned the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph and the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had both in the house and in the field so he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate now Joseph was well built and handsome and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said come to bed with me but he refused With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? What does godly character look like? It looks like Joseph. It provides endurance in the face of great temptation. This is what These are some of the characteristics of of godly character, but how can you and I as teachers, how can we contribute to the development of this kind of character in our students? How can we participate in the shaping and forming of men like Joseph? Men and women of godly character. That's the question that we want to consider this morning. And so I would suggest to you that as teachers we can contribute to the development of godly character in our students by creating the conditions that nurture godly character and by minimizing the conditions that hinder it so it's our job here is to identify something of those two sets of conditions so what are the conditions that nurture godly character What is the kind of environment that encourages our students to grow toward God? And to help us answer that question, I'd like for us to look at the words of a wise teacher, Solomon. This is Proverbs chapter 2. He says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Notice three ifs here. One in verse 1 in 3 and 4. Three ifs. If, if, if. Then. And the then is a person that knows god a person of godly character we also notice here that what we have is a conversation between a teacher and a student a father and a son we're approaching this as teachers listening in on to this conversation with the idea what can we learn about forming And and developing and creating nurturing environments for our students so let's look again my son and we're gonna stop right there it's easy to pass over this but let's not miss that this call to godly character from Solomon to a son is in the context of a committed relationship. Perhaps more important, and I would say probably more important, almost certainly more important than what he is about to say, is the relationship that he has with his son. And so a first condition for nurturing godly character is the presence of caring engaged, godly adults. We don't need any special curriculum. We don't need great technology, multimedia projectors and computers. What is needed are caring, engaged, godly adults. You see, we tend to become, don't we? We tend to become like the people who are most committed to us. Our students are that way too. You show me a young person who has a godly man or woman that is committed to them, that's pouring time and energy into their lives, and I'll show you a young person who is likely to develop godly character. But it's not just any adult. It's a caring adult. If we want to nurture character in our students, we give ourselves to working for their good. It's not just any adult. It's an engaged adult. If we want to nurture character in our students, we take an active and an individual interest in them. It's not just any adult. It's a godly adult. If we want to nurture character in our students, then we must be becoming people of godly character ourselves. Godly character nurtures godly character. It's difficult to nurture what we are not ourselves. There's a beautiful story that illustrates the power of engaged godly adults, and it's the story of Ruby Bridges. I'd like us to take just a few moments here and enjoy this story together. Ruby Bridges was born in a small cabin near Tylertown, Mississippi. We were poor. We were very poor, very, very poor, Ruby said. My daddy worked picking crops. We just barely got by. There were times when we didn't have much to eat. The people who owned the land were bringing in machines to pick the crops, so my daddy lost his job, and that's when we had to move. I remember us leaving. I was four, I think. In 1957, the family moved to New Orleans. Ruby's father became a janitor. Her mother took care of the children during the day, and after they were tucked in bed, Ruby's mother went to work scrubbing floors in a bank. Every Sunday, the family went to church. We wanted our children to be near God's spirit, Ruby's mother said. We wanted them to start feeling close to him from the very start. At that time, black children and white children went to separate schools in New Orleans. The black children were not able to receive the same education as the white children. It wasn't fair, and it was against the nation's law. In 1960, a judge ordered four black girls to go to two white elementary schools. Three of the girls were sent to McDonough 19. Six-year-old Ruby Bridges was sent to first grade in the William France Elementary School. Ruby's parents were proud that their daughter had been chosen to take a part in an important event in American history. They went to church. We sat there and prayed to God, Ruby's mother said, that we'd all be strong and we'd have courage and we'd get through any trouble. And Ruby would be a good girl and she'd hold her head up high and be a credit to her own people and a credit to all the American people. We prayed long and we prayed hard. On Ruby's first day, a large crowd of angry white people gathered outside the France elementary school. The people carried signs that said they didn't want black children in a white school. People called Ruby names. Some wanted to hurt her. The city and state police did not help Ruby. The president of the United States ordered federal marshals to walk with Ruby into the school building. The marshals carried guns. And I might just mention here that there's a famous uh, Rockwell painting of that, where you have a little girl and four uh, big men in uniform that are walking with her. Every day for weeks that turned into months, Ruby experienced that kind of school day. She walked to the France school surrounded by marshals. Wearing a clean dress and a bow in her hair and carrying her lunch pail, Ruby walked slowly for the first few blocks. As Ruby approached the school, she saw a crowd of people marching up and down the street. Men and women and children shouted at her. They pushed toward her. The marshals kept them from Ruby by threatening to arrest them. Ruby would hurry through the crowd and not say a word. The white people in the neighborhood would not send their children to school when ruby got inside the building she was all alone except for her teacher mrs henry there were no other children to keep ruby company to play with and learn with to eat lunch with but every day ruby went into the classroom with a big smile on her face ready to get down to the business of learning she was polite she worked well at her desk mrs henry said she enjoyed her time there she didn't seem nervous or anxious or irritable or scared She seemed as normal and relaxed as any child I've ever taught. And so Ruby began learning how to read and write in an empty classroom, an empty building. The story doesn't end there, and we won't either, except for the moment. The focus of the story is on Ruby, but what I'd like for you to see are the unsung heroes here behind the scenes. Her parents and her teacher. It doesn't give us a lot of details, but you see something of the kind of interest and godliness of her parents. Her teacher, Mrs. Henry, was the only teacher, as the way I understand it, in that school district that agreed to uh, cooperate with what, um, what was being ordered here. In fact, she paid a significant personal price. For what she did. She had to leave that area move back to Boston after this year of teaching. But Mrs. Henry and her parents gave Ruby an environment of caring, engaged, godly adults. And we'll see in a, in after a while how that actually translated into character in Ruby's life. What are the conditions that nurture godly character? Well, to continue to answer this, we'll go back to our passage. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. There's a lot of motion here, a lot of verbs. Uh, Accept and store up and turn your ear and apply your heart. But that's not what I want us to see. Notice that all of this motion is about something. What is that motion about? It's about words. It's about commands. It's about wisdom. It's about understanding. A second condition that nurtures godly character in our students is a truth-rich environment. A truth-rich environment. When students are in our classroom, when they're around us... Is the environment rich with truth? Is it rich with wisdom? Is there much for them to to store up and to accept and to apply their heart to? Are there great sayings in the air, on the walls, in the conversation? Is there scripture around? Like the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The school here at Faith Builders chooses a portion of scripture each year to focus on, to have chapels and assemblies, uh, programs that help to move the students and keep their minds focused toward truth. What about old adages, all that glitters is not gold, don't leave for tomorrow, what you can do today? Are our classrooms rich with truth? And what about some other worthwhile quotes, like this one from Edison? Genius is 1%. I have this backwards. Genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Are our students surrounded by great books? The Little Engine That Could, Coals of Fire, To Kill a Mockingbird, Laura Ingalls, Les Miserables, Peace Child, Silas Marner, Bronze Bow, and we could just go on and on. I believe the bookstore has a listing of titles that, uh, uh, that at least some teachers have felt has really been worthwhile reading that you might want to pick up. But what, what are, can we surround our students with great books? Am I constantly reading about and telling about godly men and women? And I'm just uh, excited about this book, Annie Funk, that just came off the press uh, last week. It's written by our very own Sharon Yoder, and it's the story of a missionary to India, Annie Funk, and it also includes the story of how she died. She died on the Titanic, and uh, although apparently she would not have needed to, but in order to find out why, you'll have to read the story. The story of Dirk Willems Pastor Peter in the Thatched Roof, Bruchko, Damian of Molokai. Maybe that's a new name, but Damian was a priest who gave his life to minister among the lepers of the Hawaiian island of Molokai. Incredibly difficult conditions, but gave his life to that. And literally gave his life, because after he was there a number of years, he got up one Sunday morning before the congregation, and instead of addressing them in the normal way, he said, my fellow lepers, because just the night before, he had uh, his practice was, I think on Saturday evening, to bathe his feet in boiling or very hot water, and as he put his feet into the water, he realized he could not feel it, and that he too had leprosy. Are, are we keeping the stories of godly men and women in front of our, our students? A truth-rich environment. For our third condition, let's go back to our passage. And this time I want us to see another emphasis. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding... Notice the emphasis here on you. Solomon understood that godly character is not going to develop without our students, without the individual wanting something, desiring something, seeking something. Which brings us to a third condition for nurturing godly character, and that is invitations to make wise choices. The invitation to make wise choices Central to being created in the image of God is this ability to make godly and wise choices. And our, an opportunity we have as a teacher is to encourage that in our students. Not to keep that repressed, but to encourage it, to invite it. And so then godly character is directly proportional to the amount of godly choices that one makes. When our classrooms are environments that are constantly calling and affirming student choices, wise choices, we can nurture godly character. Teachers that expect personal engagement on the part of students realize that education, in its fullest sense, isn't happening until students want and are choosing good things. I want you to contrast that for a moment with an environment where students are expected merely to perform, uh, to follow directions, to memorize what the teacher says. It's Howard Hendricks, I believe, that talks about how that uh, he, when he was a young teacher, he, he once was telling a group of other teachers how that you can uh, use that old adage about how you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And he was, he was giving that as good advice to teachers. But he said after he was done, said they, uh, someone from the audience came up to him, a Texan, I believe, and uh, it's obviously a cowboy in, in background. And uh, he said, Mr. Hendricks, you're wrong. And he said, what do you mean I'm wrong? He said, well, you said that you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And Hendrick says, that's right, that's what I said. And the cowboy looked at him and he says, yes, but you can feed them salt. And as teachers, we can feed our children salt. Invite them, invite them to making good choices, having the, the conditions or a situation where that's, that's in the air. When students ask, what do you want me to do? How many pages should I write? How many words? Well, we don't always have to answer that with specifics. We can, all, we can come back with, how many do you want? This is for you. What are you going to do? If everything is assigned, we miss the opportunity for choice. I, I know when I uh, taught literature, one of the things Instead of actually assigning so much reading, extra out-of-class reading, I would have students set their own goals. How much would you like to do? And I found that on average students read much more than when I actually told them what to do. I can be interesting. I can be entertaining as a teacher. But if my students are passive, if they're merely putting in time, then godly character will not develop. We can be teachers who get excited when we see initiative in our students. I remember my second grade teacher, Mrs. McGill. And in order for you to, to understand the story, I need to tell you that I had gone to a Mennonite, small Mennonite school in first grade, and then I went to a large public school in second grade. We moved from Virginia to South Carolina and it was a it was a public school that had just gone through integration and so uh, when the when the black students were integrated many of the white students had left and so it was about 90 percent black I was one of the three white students in my class of 30. This was a huge culture shock for this little Mennonite boy and I found myself crying day after day after day But it was in that context that my teacher, Mrs. McGill, a lovely black lady, took an interest in me and was trying to to create an environment in which she was going to pull me out, give me an opportunity to make choices. And I I still remember so well the day she came to class. I was still in my crying mode. But uh, I was there in class and she... She looked out over the class That said, our principal has decided we need to have uh, someone from this classroom that makes a poster. And so she, while she's talking about this poster contest that there's going to be a representative from every classroom submitting one to, she's, she's looking at me the whole time and she's saying, you know, I need one volunteer from this class to, uh, uh, to vo- do this poster for us. And, and I'm wondering, was there someone that would volunteer? And so with all that kind of pressure, I don't know if you felt it, but with all that kind of pressure, I put my hand up, and she just gushes. She's, oh, so that's what I love about Stephen. He's so quick to do things. (laughs) I don't know how she knew that. You see, she was inviting me inviting me to get involved, inviting me to make godly choices, to make good choices. After I got done with the poster, she thought it was the best poster she'd ever seen. And she said, Stephen, you need to draw something for me. I have to turn this in to the principal. You need to draw me something. Two second graders can't resist that kind of invitation. And so I drew her... A picture with two bunnies on it. You need to know, I'm not an artist. I wasn't then and I'm not now. I drew a picture of two bunnies and she thought they were wonderful. Several years later, I meet her in the hallway and she says, Stephen, thank you for drawing those bunnies for me. I still have them mounted up above my bed. We can offer, we can invite our students and then when they make good choices to affirm and get excited about that. A fourth condition that nurtures godly character is prayer. Making and creating nurturing environments, that's your work, that's my work as teachers. We can make these kinds of environments but it's God's work to bring the growth just like it is when you create an environment for plants. We can't cause the growth. The psalmist writes, create, oh God, create in me a clean heart. It's God that does the creation. We can't do that. We can form environments in which God can work. But we can't do what he can do. And so we come in prayer, pleading with God to show up in the lives of our students. Asking God to do what we can't do. Asking God to honor the work that's being done and to move into our students' lives in powerful ways. I just might mention that uh, this book by uh, Gerald Studer on uh, Christopher Dock is uh, a wonderful call to being teachers of prayer. And as I was thinking about this session and my own life in relation to my students, you know, I I realized I need to recommit myself again to being a man, to being a teacher that works hard in prayer for my students. A fourth condition that nurtures godly character. We've looked at four conditions that that nurture godly character. Now we want to look at two conditions that hinder it. The first is a fixation on my reputation rather than student character. You know what I'm talking about here? It's easy to run a disciplined classroom out of a desire to have a good reputation. It's easy to make decisions about what's gonna happen in the classroom from this basis. What are people gonna think of me? It's easy to make decisions based on that, on how can I impress people rather than how can I serve my students? How can I create an environment in which character grows and develops? An environment that is all about me and my reputation and me looking good will have a poisonous effect on my students. And a second condition that hinders godly character is a fixation on student behavior rather than student intention. Student behavior than student intention. See, it's much easier to get students to behave certain ways than it is to cultivate godly intention. It's really not that hard to manage, a, manage classroom behavior. There are things we can do. It's much more difficult. ...to work toward godly student intentions. But it's godly intention... ...not merely godly behavior... ...that's essential for students... ...if they're going to have godly character. The intention that I bring to a certain behavior... ...determines the kind of character that is developed... Two people can do the same thing, but if they're doing it for different, or from different intentions, the effect on their character is quite different. If I say thank you on a regular basis for what you do, if I say that because I've learned that it gets me what I want from you, That produces something different than if I say it because I want to become grateful. Intention is vital if godly character is going to be developed. Some years ago, Dale Carnegie wrote that really famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And in in that book, he describes a number of behaviors that are good. He says, you need to listen well. You need to take an interest in others, in what they're doing, and so on. But every one of those behaviors was given with the intention to have power over people. To be able to get people to do what you want them to do. The result of that kind of intention will not be godly character. However, many of those same behaviors could be chosen from the intention of becoming a caring, loving person, and that will work. Exercising in those behaviors then will work godly character in our lives. When the main thing I care about is the behavior of my students and not the intentions behind it, I poison the possibilities for growth in godly character. We've looked at four conditions that nurture godly character, the presence of caring, engaged godly adults, a truth-rich environment, invitations to make wise choices, and prayer. We've considered two conditions that hinder godly character, fixation on my reputation rather than student character, and fixation on student behavior rather than student intention. Ruby Bridges had parents and teachers that gave her A nurturing environment what was the result then one morning something happened mrs. Henry stood by a window in her classroom as she usually did watching Ruby walk toward the school suddenly Ruby stopped right in front of the mob of howling and screaming people she stood there facing all those men and women She seemed to be talking to them. Mrs. Henry saw Ruby's lips moving and wondered what Ruby could be saying. The crowd seemed ready to kill her. The marshals were frightened. They tried to persuade Ruby to move along. They tried to hurry her into the school, but Ruby wouldn't budge. And then Ruby stopped talking and walked into the school. When she went into the classroom, Mrs. Henry asked her what had happened. Mrs. Henry told Ruby that she'd been watching and that she was surprised when Ruby stopped and talked with the people in the mob. Ruby became irritated. I didn't stop and talk with him, she said. Ruby, I saw you talking, Mrs. Henry said. I saw your lips moving. I wasn't talking, said Ruby. I was praying. I was praying for them. Every morning, Ruby had stopped a few blocks away from school to say a prayer for the people who hated her. This morning, she forgot until she was already in the middle of the angry mob. When school was over for the day, Ruby hurried through the mob as usual. After she walked a few blocks and the crowd was behind her, Ruby said the prayer she repeated twice a day, before and after school. Please, God, try to forgive those people, because even if they say those bad things, they don't know what they're doing. So you could forgive them just like you did those folks a long time ago when they said terrible things about you. Ruby Bridges had parents and a teacher that gave her a nurturing environment. The result, a child of godly character. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit thedocforlearning.org.